Do you love the smell of a turp? The feel of a kidney at open nephrectomy? The sound of a Q-max over 30 mils per second? The sight of a renal stone disintegrating at the tip of your laser fibre? Or the taste of a beer at the end of a difficult cystectomy and neobladder? Then delight your five senses with So You're Gonna. So You're Gonna, the practical urology podcast for those who love urology. Hi there and welcome. I'm Joseph Iskia. This podcast is from the team at Talking Urology, where we are helping doctors, and in this case, allied health practitioners, develop a deeper understanding of the literature to ensure we apply the right evidence to the right patient. Continuing on this theme of getting right to the heart of the big urological issues, we thought we would exercise our cerebral muscles and get started on So You're Gonna Recommend Exercise for Men with Prostate Cancer Undergoing Androgen Deprivation Therapy and Chemotherapy. Therefore, let me bring the literature to life with my very special co-host, who just happens to also be my long-suffering wife, Dale Iskia. Hello, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be here. Right now, I could tell you more about improper fractions, colour shading and Aboriginal history thanks to homeschooling our kids, but I'll do my best to refocus my thinking towards exercise oncology. And thanks for all your hard work there too. I'm an accredited exercise physiologist from Melbourne and we're going to tackle the topic. So you're going to recommend exercise for men with prostate cancer undergoing androgen deprivation therapy and chemotherapy. Jeez, I've already said that. It's like you never listened to me. Also, joining our co-host team will be accredited exercise physiologist and PhD candidate Ashley Biggeren from Australian Catholic University and the Baker Institute. Thanks, Dale and Joseph. I feel like Joseph is about to be outnumbered by exercise physiologists. He certainly will be. We'll also be joined by Dr Eva Zoff. Eva is an exercise physiologist and completed her PhD in exercise oncology at the German Sport University in Cologne, Germany and did a postdoctoral research fellowship at Edith Cowan University in Perth and is now a key member of the exercise oncology team at the Australian Catholic University. So stay tuned while we give you all the latest news on using exercise to treat and manage the side effects of ADT and chemotherapy in men with prostate cancer. As this podcast is all about exercise, perhaps a few squats and push-ups could be completed while enjoying the show. And indeed, we do have a great podcast for you. So Dale... Let's begin, as every great story about prostate cancer should, by talking about the first time you met Martin Gleave. Yes. So I met Martin Gleave at a dinner party in Vancouver when we were there for your fellowship. And we were talking about what I did. And he said, oh, yeah, I tell all my patients to exercise. I know it's good for them. I tell them to go to the gym. But why would I send them to you? I hadn't quite perfected my elevator pitch at the time, but I told him something along the lines of, essentially, there are so many side effects of hormone and other cancer treatments, and typically many comorbidities that need to be considered when prescribing a safe and effective exercise program for men with prostate cancer. And we want to make sure these fellas are exercising for the rest of their lives, as we know their treatment will not be short-lived. Therefore, the exercise that counteracts this treatment needs to last for a long time as well. And I also know of an oncologist who's told their prostate cancer patients to go to the gym and go as hard as you possibly can. 
And this may be good advice for a select few that have a really strong exercise history, they know their limitations, know how hard to push themselves and know what a good recovery looks like and they don't have any comorbidities or joint problems or pelvic floor issues. But for the majority of men with prostate cancer, they have lots of other health concerns that need to be considered when prescribing an exercise program and they need to be educated on how to safely exercise. So it is these men who need to see an accredited exercise physiologist. So, um, Joseph, I assume you don't have time to cover the intricacies of exercise prescription with your patients during your consults. No, I certainly do not. So we exercise physiologists are in the business of making you look good by minimising the side effects of ADT and chemotherapy. Ah, anything to make me look good, Dale, please. Tell me more. So exercise physiologists are the masterminds behind every effective exercise program. We individualise the exercise prescription by dose and mode of exercise, for example, aerobic exercise, weight or resistance training, or balance training according to the assessment findings. We comprehensively assess the patient's medical history, including comorbid and musculoskeletal conditions, medications, exercise history, and side effects of treatment, including chemotherapy, induced fatigue, and peripheral neuropathy, which can lead to balance issues. We then test the client's cardiorespiratory fitness, recovery, current strength levels, balance and range of movement, and we apply a holistic approach by taking note of the patient's limitations and goals, and then prescribe an exercise program using the appropriate dose and mode of exercise. The dosage of exercise means we manipulate things like the intensity or load of the exercise, frequency and the duration of the exercise. And recovery is also an important factor we can manipulate to optimise outcomes and this is particularly important when managing things like cancer-related fatigue. A perfect introduction to our expertise, Dale. It's important to note that exercise physiologists are also governed by guidelines similar to cancer treatment guidelines. Our new and improved exercise and cancer guidelines suggest all patients with cancer should be referred to an allied health professional, including an accredited exercise physiologist. These guidelines also recommend patients with cancer should complete a minimum of 30 to 60 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise three times per week and at least two resistance training sessions per week. But what does this mean for men with prostate cancer? Let's start off with a broader question for our resident expert. We asked Eva if she were to prescribe an exercise program for men undergoing ADT and chemotherapy, what would it be? So I think generally when we think about prescribing an exercise program for cancer patients, we would always consider sort of what symptoms and treatment-related side effects these patients may be experiencing. However, when we look at the research to date, that shows that moderate to high-intensity aerobic and resistance exercise is likely to provide sort of the greatest benefit to patients on ADT and chemotherapy. And the reason being that um, sort of both those exercise modalities can target multiple body systems. There are some excellent insights from Eva. Speaking of exercise, time to bring the exercise oncology literature to centre stage and discuss some of the standout randomised trials in this space. I'm really interested in the urologist's perspective. Joseph, what side effects are you most concerned about when men are initiating ADT or chemotherapy? Good question. When I start a man on ADT or send them off for chemotherapy, there are so many side effects. But today, I think we should focus on bone health, skeletal muscle, metabolic health, and really importantly, quality of life. So my questions for you are, how can we minimize these side effects? 
And do we just tell our patients to go for a run or lift weights? Haven't you been listening to your wife, Joseph? I think we should start with the strongest evidence to date on body composition. Dale, it seems most exercise intervention trials have observed improvements in muscle strength, but minimal changes in lean muscle mass. What may be causing this? Absolutely. Factors that affect lean muscle mass outcomes include patient characteristics such as fitness, physical activity, diet, as well as the duration of ADT. Trials have observed that about a 0.7 kilogram increase in lean muscle mass following a combined aerobic and resistance training program or resistance training program alone. Most exercise interventions vary across the trials, but best muscle mass outcomes were achieved with the following formula. A combination of aerobic and resistance exercise training consisting of 12 to 6 repetition maximum at 2 to 4 sets completed 3 times per week for a minimum of 12 weeks although there's still plenty of research required in this space. Jeez, Dale, that sounds like some ideal fantasy world of exercise, right? I mean, we know that the perfect conditions in trials are often difficult to replicate in real life. How do you try to apply this to my everyday patient? Certainly is a fantasy world, Joseph. But we then asked Eva what type of exercise training should be prioritised to counteract the negative effects on body composition. Patients receiving ADT often experience an increase in fat mass and a decrease in muscle mass. And I think the negative consequences of adiposity are well known, but we're also learning more and more about the importance of um, skeletal muscle. If we look at the current literature, we see that loss of muscle mass can be significantly attenuated if we prescribe a structured and progressive resistance exercise component. To positively influence the increase in fat mass, the literature suggests that it's likely that we have to prescribe a moderate to high intensity aerobic and resistance exercise um, program. And including the aerobic exercise is likely beneficial because it enhances fat metabolism and increases energy expenditure. We also have to keep in mind, though, that there are men with advanced prostate cancer that might experience cancer cachexia. And here we would actually focus more on resistance exercise and minimize or at least sort of minimize the continuous aerobic exercise to reduce energy expenditure. Lastly, important to know is that, um, you know, if we can alter the body composition, that also may favorably affect other treatment-related side effects such as cancer-related fatigue. Yes, excellent insight by Eva. But what about the cardiometabolic side effects of ADT? Ash, this is your PhD monster. Will these guys need to run marathons to reduce their cardiometabolic risk during ADT? Don't give me any ideas. My program is hard enough. Key trials have evaluated uh, markers of cardiometabolic health, but few have observed improvements beyond body composition. Our team believes the current exercise dose is suboptimal compared to other cancers and also non-cancer trials investigating cardiometabolic health outcomes. Is the difference the exercise intensity or frequency? Definitely. Exercise intensity is relatively low compared to non-cancer populations. There seems to be a consistent lack of scientific evidence investigating longer exercise durations and higher exercise intensities on cardiometabolic health outcomes. We currently have a research trial underway that is directly addressing the impact of exercise on cardiometabolic health in men on ADT. A small plug, the X-Heart trial is taking a break and will return after COVID-19 has left our shores. Thanks, Ash. We look forward to the results of your study. 
Now let's move on to bone health. Now I'm concerned about my elderly patients receiving ADT and or chemotherapy as this age group is particularly susceptible to osteopenia and osteoporosis. We have another great podcast that's just recently been released on bone health and ADT, so please go back and tune into that. But now let's talk about how exercise can affect bone health. It's remarkable how quickly ADT induces changes in the structural integrity of bone. In a large-scale randomised controlled trial investigating bone mineral density outcomes during ADT, around 37% of patients who are osteopenic at baseline were diagnosed with osteoporosis within one year, and this almost doubled at the two-year follow-up. Those bones sound more brittle than my ego when you tell me that I'm the third best podcaster you know in our house. But moving on. Has there been any major exercise trials published in this area recently, Dale? Interestingly, only a few studies have observed favourable outcomes on bone density. Really? Why may this be the case? Are the exercise interventions too short or are the studies not powered enough to detect changes in bone mineral density? Exactly, Ash. For the first time, Newton and colleagues conducted a 12-month comparative effectiveness trial, including different exercise modes on regional and whole body bone mineral density. The authors concluded impact training like hopping, skipping, jumping, leaping and bounding and resistance training attenuated the decline in spine and hip bone density. The take-home message was impact training and resistance training should be included in the exercise and cancer guidelines. Is it time to buy a skipping rope and some small hurdles for your patients, Joseph? They could definitely hop, skip and jump into your clinical consults. Finding a park outside my consulting room seems to be a small hurdle. In fact, I would love them to hop, skip or jump if it would help me stick to time. It is important to note that the majority of men starting out with an exercise program need to gradually build up to the point where they can withstand impact training. If I asked a 70-year-old man to hop or jump during our first session, I would be met with some choice words and cries of pain. Many have to overcome joint pain from osteoarthritis or pelvic floor issues from a prostatectomy or radiation treatment, and I would need to make sure they aren't at risk of a spontaneous fracture from bone metastases. Now on this topic, I'm really curious about musculoskeletal impact loading and bone metastases in men on long-term ADT and chemotherapy. I would have thought that these men have a relatively high risk of fracture due to the metastases. Is resistance training safe in these men with bone mets? It's interesting as most trials have excluded men with established bone metastases as they were deemed unstable and the risk of fracture was extreme. Cormie and colleagues undertook a pilot study to determine the safety and feasibility of resistance training in men with established metastatic disease. For the exercise physiologist listening, it provided a systematic approach of a prescribing exercise based upon the location and extent of the bone metastases and avoided sites with established bone metastatic disease. Although this study had a small sample size and was a difficult group to recruit. This study really paved the way for exercise prescription in patients with bone mets. It sure did, and it's actually one of my go-to favourite publications to date. We asked Eva about what advice she could give exercise physiologists treating patients with established metastatic disease in clinical practice. You really want to find out some information about the severity of the bone metastatic disease the previous and current treatments that are used to manage the disease, any presence of osteoporosis, any history of sort of fractures or falls, and then of course what disease and treatment-related side effects the patients may be experiencing, such as bone pain, neurological symptoms, or, or even muscle weakness. 
So with every sort of choice you make and every exercise prescription um, you would um, put together, you always have to sort of think, okay, does the potential risk of an adverse event really outweigh the anticipated benefit towards the patient goals? So that's really important to keep in mind. Um, from everything we sort of know about this population and the multifaceted adverse events they experience, it's likely that a multi-model exercise program involving aerobic resistance, but also balance exercises is likely to be beneficial. The program does need to be adapted if patients are at risk of experiencing skeletal-related events. Um, so we want to focus on sort of controlled movements with correct form. We want to minimize the risk of falls. We want to avoid impact exercises if there's a risk of fracture. We want to avoid or use caution with exercises that load the affected sites. Same with um, sort of rapid or loaded trunk rotations or flexions or extensions of the trunk. We would avoid those or limit at least um, how quickly we do them. We then asked Eva, what should urologists or oncologists provide an exercise physiologist to assist with appropriate and safe program design? It would be sort of helpful for an exercise physiologist to, for example, see a bone scan report. Because while patients may know, you know their cancer state and their grade, requesting a bone scan um, report from the urologist can help provide insight into the location, size and type of a bone lesion as well as the rate of progression. And, and knowing whether a bone lesion is, is stable or unstable with regard to fracture risk, um, as I mentioned before, is key when developing a sort of safe exercise program. Excellent. And thanks, Eva, for your insights. For urologists and oncologists listening, it sounds like we need to provide exercise physiologists with the bone scan results to assist with exercise safety. Another issue I'm concerned about is the impact their treatments have on the quality of life. Now, what role can exercise play in improving the quality of life for men with prostate cancer? Not only does it improve their physical capacity to improve quality of life activities, such as gardening or picking up the grandkids, but patients readily report exercise is one thing they can do for themselves. It gives them a sense of control in an otherwise out-of-control situation. The psychosocial benefits of being in a group environment may include a stronger sense of belonging, control and ownership of tackling the side effects of their treatment. We asked Eva about the novel evidence being conducted in improving the quality of life and limiting psychological distress associated with their prostate cancer experience as a result of exercise training. There are actually a couple of trials that have been conducted that evaluated changes in mental health in men with prostate cancer and also undergoing ADT. Most of these trials have looked at um, sort of mental health outcomes as secondary endpoints. We're currently running a trial, and it might be the first RCT, that is specifically designed to examine the impact of exercise on the psychological side of effects of prostate cancer. And so we're only including men that are actually experiencing psychological distress and the design of this trial is based on a finding we made suggesting that masculine self-esteem is a significant factor contributing to psychological health in men with prostate cancer. We believe that a group-based sort of exercise program may be a supportive service that men would find appealing and maybe a pathway to improve mental health in this patient population. 
All right, so in summary, we understand the side effects of chemotherapy and ADT may compromise the quantity and quality of life in men with prostate cancer. But Eva, what does the future hold for exercise oncology research in prostate cancer? There's so many open questions like, can we counteract cardiotoxicity in patients undergoing ADT? What about cognitive function? What about sexual health? Can we, you know, prolonged survival in these men and, um, you know, what exercise modality and intensity are the most appropriate for all these different outcomes. And, and if we top that all with um, sort of the cancer treatments that are constantly changing, we always get to face new challenges and, and really exploring how exercise may, for example, improve treatment tolerance. I also think it's important to mention implementation research you know, we're putting a lot of effort into conducting randomized control trials to prove the efficacy of exercise interventions. And, and that's really important work, but we also have to facilitate sort of the translation of, of research into practice. What can a urologist tell their patients about exercise during ADT and chemotherapy? That exercise is safe and feasible during ADT and chemotherapy and referring to an exercise physiologist can help individualise exercise training to the patient's treatment cycles, symptoms and side effects. What can an exercise physiologist tell their patients about exercising during ADT and chemotherapy? Every program is targeted and specifically tailored to your baseline fitness, strength and current cancer situation and stage of treatment. Okay, you've convinced me. So now, how can I refer my patients to an accredited exercise physiologist? The website is essa.org.au slash find an AEP. You'll be able to search by specialty, for example, cancer, as well as the postcode. Patients can also access Medicare rebates for an exercise physiologist appointment if they've been referred by their GP. And that's everything on exercise for men with prostate cancer and ADT and chemotherapy. Hopefully you've learned a thing or two about the importance of exercise during and following treatment and perhaps reinstating that gym membership. So let's run through the fast five facts. Firstly, exercise can increase lean muscle mass by around 2% and reduce fat mass by 2-3% to after a longer exercise intervention. Secondly, exercise can minimise ADT-induced bone mineral density loss, but only when impact training was completed in conjunction with resistance training. Three, exercise can be systematically prescribed to patients with widespread bone metastases and improve muscle strength by around 11%, ambulation by 12%, and lean mass by around 3%. Four, Exercise can help reduce psychological distress and improve mood, especially when undertaken in a group-based environment. And fifthly, we've all learned that my wife has a nicer voice than I do. So, again, many thanks for listening. Thank you to Dale, Ashley Biggeren and Eva Zoff for sharing their invaluable expertise and insights with us today. You can now get all our podcasts on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Talking Urology. And remember to send all feedback to feedback at talkingurology.com.au. You've been listening to Joseph Iskia, Dale Iskia, Ashley Biggeren and Eve Zoff. Written by Ashley Biggeren, Dale and Joseph Iskia. And produced by Joseph Iskia and Cara Webb. So You're Gonna, the practical urology podcast for those who love urology. Proudly brought to you by Abvi. This podcast was sponsored by Avvi Proprietary Limited, which has no control over audio content. The content is entirely independent and based on published studies and experts' opinion. The views within the podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Avvi Proprietary Limited.